Welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. Zombie Fishbowl? What does that even mean? Not a damn thing. And everything at the same time. Wow. All right, so let's start by introducing yourselves. Hello, I'm Danielle. I live in Northwest England um, in a very damp seaside town. But I did live in California for about 13 years, hence the weird accent. I'm studying for a master's degree in archaeology after deciding that I wanted to change my career after being a uh, support worker for 10 years. So I fucking love history and logic and am, as you will get to know, very sceptical of the paranormal world, which we will probably do a lot of talking about because it's the most fun. And even though I roll my eyes at ghost hunters and psychics and spooky YouTube videos, I still fucking love it. I love a ghost story. I love a weird happening. My mum and I share this this enthusiasm. She kind of passed it on to me. But although I am absolutely intrigued by the unknown, I also like to have a look and see what reason there might be behind something. So I'll be bringing the scientific papers and whatever reliable publications I can find to try to explore humanity's obsession and consistent claim that there is something, some other world that we cannot see or test or measure. And I'm Melanie, and I live in California, USA. Daughter of a horror novelist and a porn star, I'm an enthusiast for the bizarre, taboo, and fun. I am pagan, a recovering medium, a horror and fantasy fanatic, and mythology nerd, so needless to say, whatever she doesn't believe in, I just might, or at least will enjoy the telling. So, backstory. Danielle and I were best friends growing up in Southern California. We were nerds with a punk goth twist that were never quite cool enough for the punks or the goths or even the nerds. But we partied together, grew together, and basically been through hell and high water. We grew up and I stayed in California. And I moved back to England to be with my lover boy. So here we are in our 30s, continents apart. But whenever we get a chance to chat, it's always insane, fun, and full of information. So we thought we'd share our love of the random, macabre, fun facts and turn it into a podcast. Also, in regards to the name of our podcast, I suppose you do need some kind of explanation. Well, we tried being clever, intellectual, and punny, but nothing was quite working until Melanie randomly in an exasperated moment threw out Zombie Fishbowl, which was the name of the band that we almost tried to but didn't quite ever have in high school. Although I did attempt to learn how to play the bass, and I can still play the intro to Crazy Train like a total badass. And I could sing, so that was something. (laughs) It, It doesn't mean anything, but it could mean so much. So throw it all in the zombie fishbowl and eat it up. So here's the plan. We have a list of wide-ranging topics from magic to UFOs, and every week we throw them into a randomizer and then research the shit out of it. Hopefully, as this podcast grows, we'd love to hear from you. All of our social media information will be hollered at you at the end of the podcast. But we're going to steer clear of current affairs, politicky stuff, because it is so, so, so divisive and polarizing and just plain frustrating. We will no doubt get political. It is in our very nature, but uh, not as a topic. And we'll try not to be overtly preachy. Also sports, because we do not sport. Nope, I can't sport and neither can Melanie. So no sport. Anyway, (laughs) one more thing before we get into the topic this week. We have The Purge. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So this is where we, mostly Danielle, will have a moan for a couple minutes to clear the air before starting. So what do you want to purge about this week, Danielle? Wet rain. 
<laughs> not normal rain that just comes down and you can you know put your umbrella up and you're quite happy walking across the street looking all emo and fun but the kind of rain that just makes everything on your body damp and no matter what you do everything is just wet and miserable and it just it makes everything difficult just oh i fucking hate wet rain it's that stuff that comes from the ground as well as the sky it comes from the left and it comes from the right and there's nothing you can do about it and you just damp all the time and it's just like a soggy miserable rain yeah which is pretty much 90 percent of the weather in this bloody town it's really really grim out there right now it's been grim for a couple days but then there's like an hour of beautiful sunshine and everyone runs out in their shorts just just please give me the vitamin d please give me the vitamin d and then everybody runs back inside as soon as it starts to, to rain again it's june it's supposed to be lovely outside but it's like looking at a november oh so miserable that's that's what i wanted to get off my chest i got wet earlier today and i haven't got over it yet <laughs> so i'm sorry I, for your soggy life over there <laughs> well you know it's what i signed up for i guess you got to have the, the the bad damp horrible weather in order to appreciate and uh really take advantage of lovely sunshine which i can see you're having right now you bitch oh yes, oh, yes. the sunniest <laughs> of sunshines and it's not quite yet at like 90 degrees i think we're at a nice medium 65 heading towards 70 that's so um, perfect yeah yeah that's that's the sweet spot but give us about two hours and it's going to probably be like 85 yeah it kind of goes ott after a while i don't know why i said ott i don't say that in my daily life i'm going to say it fully over the top <laughs> okay good because i'm old and when you said ott i have no idea what that meant <laughs> i read a lot of reddit <laughs> I learned the lingo of the youths. Yeah, I'm not I'm not hip with these the kids today with their their letters instead of words. I have to admit every so often I have to Google an acronym, but I have to Google an acronym almost every day. <laughs> it's awful. Fantastic. Right, okay. Do you have anything you want to purge? Oh, I suppose we'll go with cats. No, I love cats. What? I have two cats. I, I love my cats, but they can be such fucking cats. Like, Phineas, <laughs> my, my big, fat, old one, he's fine. He's too lazy and slow to really do anything much uh, as far as the bothersome cat uh, behavior. He just has that Siamese cat meow, which makes you want to kill something. But other than that, but my kitten is such a kitten, and I can't stand it. She, I have a cup of water above my bed. Every night, and every night I get clunked in the head with a glass full of water. And you'd think I'd learn. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't, because I keep forgetting that she's such a cat. Like, not just, and the little things, you know, knocking the things off the, off the things, with the technical terms. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? It's so cute until it actually is in your life, and then you're like, why the fuck are you catting so hard? (laughs) So that's, uh, that's my purge, because I keep getting knocked in the head with water at, like, two in the morning. So, all right. Patrick started his, his summer sick um, um, ritual, which is, you know, when the summer comes around, because he's a long-haired cat, 
um every other day he'll be hacking up a hairball but he just doesn't do it over the the wood floor it's all over the carpet and it's all over multiple carpets because he moves three feet between each regurge so (laughs) you know swings and roundabouts really they're awesome they're awesome i love my cats they're my little dudes but um yeah they don't knock water into my face but they certainly make um for um a russian roulette when you're walking around the house barefoot yeah yeah Yeah. cat man all right Uh, i feel better do you i think i do a little bit all right Right, let's take a deep breath and we'll start this week's Factotastic Zombie Fishbowl podcast. Ready? Ready. (sighs) (sighs) That's never going to get old. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this week's topic randomly picked from our random topic picker is... Haunted Battlefields. Wow, that was shit. Fantastic. You go. Good about it. I don't know about you. I, <laughs> I really did. Fantastic. Okay, so I suppose I'll start. Being in America, we have had a bloody civil war, um, which we all know. But really, getting a grasp on the numbers of it was was phenomenal. So, out of all of the soldiers that have ever fallen. In a war, every single American soldier, if you add them all up from the beginning of American soldiers being a thing to present day, if you add all those casualties up, half of them took place in the Civil War. But brother against brother. So no matter who fell, it was an American falling. And it was just so, so much. And that's not even including all of the the battles against the Native Americans and and the Mexicans and, and just just the slaughter that took place here all over the place. There are many ways I could have gone and I kind of got stuck in the civil war mainly because I have never in my life had any interest in it. So I thought this thing that I, I know enough about to pass like what third grade. Um, But it never really hit me as anything super interesting. So I, I researched into it. Um, yeah, I feel you on that. I'm not a big warfare um, history buff. I like my history and stuff like that, but you know, battlefields and war and battles—it's never really been because it's it's a little bit repulsive. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's funny because instinctively, I think we're just kind of like, oh yeah, no, this happened. But if you actually just take a second to really try and grasp what happened, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And 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 hideous and and just just horrifying. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I started by researching the top ten bloodiest battles of the Civil War. God. Which is so fucking significant. Like, oh my God. And poor Virginia, man. Well, not so much poor Virginia, but Jesus, the amount of people who died there for this this war is is staggering. It's like at least 15,000 just in a couple of these battles. It's just absurd. Um, anyway, so we'll start with the the biggest, which is the Battle of Gettysburg. Oh, right. Famous, I think, in American history. <clears throat> it is the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. It lasted for three days in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. 
um, grand total casualties, including wounded, was almost 50,000 people in three days. 5,425 people just went missing, which I think is interesting. And looking at all of these battles, you don't see a number so much for people just missing. But with the Battle of Gettysburg, almost 5,500 people just boof disappeared. So, Battle of Gettysburg. With so many dead, dying, injured, and uh, just missing, it's it's one of the most haunted sites in America, mm. right? Um, the battle took place across this one field, but it also took place over mountains. It even went into the city itself. Um, it was so bad that in some of the houses that were healing the the injured, people were like ankle deep in blood. That sounds like an exaggeration. It's an exaggeration, <laughs> but but the the walls covered, the floor covered, like completely covered. Ankle deep, yeah, is a bit bit of an exaggeration, but <laughs> to say that they were at least heel deep in blood, I don't think is an exaggeration. They were slipping in the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things, with all the battlefields that I researched, I found that the most recurring uh, uh, thing was, um, wait, hold on, I got the word, residual hauntings. Mm-hmm. So residual hauntings are really just a replay of the events. I have so heard throughout- this term. And, um, yeah, sorry. You go ahead. You say it. <laughs> so from a, a psychic pagan perspective. <laughs> yes. All right. With residual hauntings, I believe that when you have that much death and that much rage and fear and, and just just really amped up energy, it sort of leaves an imprint. Um, I mean, you go into a, a room where somebody's been, you know, beaten their whole lives. Even if you don't have any context of what happened there before, that room feels dark and oppressing and not great. So when you go to a battlefield or go to a place where, um, you know, the soldiers were taken to be treated and eventually probably die, um, or have their legs amputated with no anesthesia. There's a lot of emotion there. And so with residual hauntings, a lot of it is just you see these people replaying these moments. Um, whether it's somebody specifically uh, getting up and walking across the room or um, <clears throat> a lot of the times you'll see people standing on or sitting on horses just sort of standing there in the field, just just chilling. Yeah. So my my idea my my knowledge of this means that they're not intelligent. They can't interact yeah. with them, and they don't interact with you. In fact, they probably don't even see you. It is an imprint of emotion left. So this kind of definition within the metaphysical world implies that it's not actually the human soul. It's not actually a person who is dead. It is actually more like a film being replayed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, when it comes to those kinds of hauntings, I don't find them particularly... Ah! Holy Jesus. I'm going to close that window. <laughs> Hopefully people on the earphones didn't suddenly think some child was screaming in their ear. <laughs> it's my own ghost child. It's all right. <laughs> <clears throat> So when it comes to residual hauntings, I don't find them particularly spooky because, again, they're, yeah, they're unintelligent. They don't have uh, motive or instinct or uh, reason. They just are replaying. Mm-hmm. 
I think there, that, that, and also by its own definition, it's not proof of an afterlife. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, they're they're not so much ghosts to me as like yeah holograms, imprints. Yeah. Um, but one thing I thought was really interesting at the uh, at Gettysburg is um, people getting wafts of uh, phantom scents mm. of mint or vanilla, and they'll come out of nowhere. Vanilla. Vanilla, because back then, back in the day, after the war, you know, the streets are piled up with bodies, just just piled up in the middle of Pennsylvania summer, which I got to tell you, it's hot. Not only is it hot, it's humid. So bodies were swelling to twice their size and they were just sitting in the streets, but it still had to function as a city. So people would have to walk through these streets and they would douse their handkerchiefs with peppermint oil or vanilla oil to try and mask the smell. Oh, I'd definitely be a peppermint because uh, if I was smelling the rotting corpses of the dead and vanilla, it'd be like that sickly sweet. Oh, no. Mint for me. Definitely yeah. mint. It would put you off the for forever. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think that's interesting, especially because, you know, it's not that mint isn't native to it. But when you get just a waft um, from out of nowhere and it's gone within a second, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit more telling than sort of being like, well, no, there's probably people just growing mint all over the place. It's like, no, like a strong, concentrated smell. Okay. And so people in Gettysburg still get whiffs of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's just to to them it's just sort of what it's like there now, but people who go to visit they'll be walking and they'll smell like, um, you know just regular street they'll smell uh, flowers they'll smell the baker and all of a sudden poof, just a bomb of men- uh, menthol in your nostrils. It's interesting that it's that and not the smell of rotting corpses. That's what I thought too. I was just, <laughs> why why not the smell of corpses? I mean I you'd think that would be more predominant, but I think because the intention. There's that very strong intention of, um, you know, masking this smell or or even because mint was also believed to help prevent uh, disease and decay. It was sort of like also as a medicinal buffer from mm-hmm. the dead. Um, I think the fear from from inha- while inhaling such a scent is what left its imprint rather than the, the whiff of the dead bodies. OK, OK. Plus, if you smelled what you thought was dead bodies you possibly just misinterpret it as the drains <laughs> you know? that. i don't know anyway carry on <laughs> <laughs> i find smells very hard to believe because like you said leading up to it um it can just easily be coming from someone who's growing some mint in their back garden or you know the smell of some concentrated vanilla isn't that unusual in the 21st century with cupcake shops and donuts and stuff so you know if it was something like you know really unique like the smell of a very particular cigar or something like that maybe I'd be a little bit more intrigued but mint Mm -hmm. and vanilla to me I could write straight off those are common smells and and I was willing to write it off too until I was like reading the recounts of people. It's like no, it's not just a subtle mint smell. It's like it's like being chloroformed with mint. Just all like, right, you know, really strong, strong whiff. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I got for Gettysburg. <laughs> there's there's so many. Um, God, the amount of people that died is just insane. 
Uh, next one I wrote out was um, Little Bighorn. Do you know much about that? Uh, Native American battle. Uh, was that why I'm going to sound really ignorant? Uh, West Coast. So Little Bighorn. Um, you know, I don't think I even wrote down where it fucking was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, like the, the the Matterhorn is in California, and that's the is that maybe that's what I'm mixing it up with. So the Battle of Little Bighorn took place somewhere very important. Um, <laughs> over there. Over there, and there was a whole bunch of tribes involved, and that was um, basically one of Custer's last battles. I think it was his last battle. Um. There you have the Sioux Nations, the Hukpapa, the Lakota, Sanzark, uh, Blackfoot tribes, a whole bunch, um, fought against Custer's 7th Cavalry from January on January 25th, 1876. Most of the native warriors survived, but almost every single one of the troops that went into battle died. Mm-hmm. There was a rumor or a legend or a myth that the only... Um, uh, soldier to come out of there alive was the horse named Comanche. Oh. Um, that's on, not on, actually on the American side. On the American side. Um, well, I guess they're all Americans. So uh, Custer went over there with 600 troops. Only 300 entered the battle. Um, Sitting Bull gathered his warriors and ensured oh, the safety of women and children, while Crazy Horse left with a large force to attack. Custer was quickly defeated. Including Custer, over 260 troops of the 300 died. Um, the hauntings, again, seem to be residual, um, but they do seem to be a little bit more intense. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, the Ameri- Native Americans' connection to the land itself. I think it just has a deeper significance to them. Mm. Um, but most of them, again, it's residual warriors on horses just surveying the field, um, occasionally believed to see um, some of the federal so- soldiers looking for their limbs. Nice. Which I found is interesting. How do we know they're looking for their limbs? Have we um, asked? Yeah, probably just that lost look and that one arm reaching. Yeah, around, yeah, yeah. Like, kind of, <laughs> gotta be here somewhere. Just along, like, has anyone seen my foot? <laughs> my country for a foot. Oh, no. <laughs> and then from there, I have, like, cryptids. So I want to hear what you got. Before I go into cryptids. Cryptids on battlefields. Uh-huh. Melanie told me that she was going to cover the continent of uh, the USA, Northern America. Um, or did you go into South America? Because you did just say continent. I did not. I'm, I'm a big fibber. I was pretty strictly on my end. Uh, right. That's fine. That's fine. Because um, I did. I did a couple. And you can tell me whether you want to hear both of them at the same time or one at a time. But the first one I did was one called um, The Battle at Culloden Moor. Or Culloden Moor. I don't want to sound like I'm doing a Scottish accent, but it's in Scotland. Um, it's um, the up in the Highlands. It was during the Jacobite Rebellion. So for those um, over the pond that don't know... Um, the Scottish really don't like the English and at every opportunity have um, fought tooth and nail to not be part of 
English sovereignty, if you will. Um, you'll still hear about that today. They really don't like it. Uh, the Jacobites were basically these the sort of people of the Highlands of Scotland who did not want to be um, a part of the English kingdom. But the king was pretty adamant that they should better bend the knee kind of thing. So <clears throat> it's um, up in the Highlands near Inverness. So if you wanted to take a look for it, um, it's in a lovely little place, which is uh, on the crook of the Moray Firth, which is a part of the North Sea that goes into Scotland. Lovely part of the country. Never been. On my list. <laughs> <laughs> it took place in 1746. Uh, it's the last battle of the Jacobite Rebellion. Uh, they'd been fighting for 31 years. So this was uh, a long time coming. Good grief. It was horrific. It was bloody. You can imagine we're still using swords and, you know, stabby things at this point. Um, pointy sticks. Pointy sticks, throwing shit, stones, all that horrible stuff. Um, <laughs> and the, unfortunately, it's the infamous death of Bonnie Prince Charlie and uh, loads of his uh, followers. I'm not going to get into why he was called Bonnie Prince Charlie. Charlie, I will let you imagine why the Scots call him Bonnie Prince. <laughs> I'm sure it won't take you very long to work it out. Um, it also only la- it lasted less than an hour. So, I mean, he- they were annihilated. Um, and it was the end of the Jacobite Rebellion, and the the king was victorious in the end. So, not only were they horrendously defeated, um, apparently their suffering didn't end at the end of the battle because they still haunt the battlefield to this day. So people say, anyway. Um, Every year on April 16th, which is the anniversary of the battle, people see, um, I guess, a residual haunting of a reenactment of this battle. Um, so I'll get more into that bit in a bit, but, um, people have apparently seen, um, this reenactment, but it gets funny, but I'll tell you about this af- afterwards. Um, cause I want to tell you this, this story about these two old ladies, because this is the cutest ghost story I've ever heard. Nice. So, um, right. It, I like it because it works backwards. And to me, that is more logical than when somebody's told something's haunted and then sees a ghost. Mm-hmm. Other way around. So I will show you this. These two old dears um, show up at a National Trust for Scotland site. Uh, uh, National Trust for Scotland. Basically, we um, put up an office in a nice little museum next to historical buildings and places of historical interest and charge people to get into it to keep and maintain it because we love that shit on a bank holiday weekend we'll go to a castle go through the cafe go sit down in the castle have a look around come out go through the gift shop and have another brew that is a bank holiday weekend to the tea nice literally tea anyway so these two old dears go to this national trust of scotland site and they ask if they um could see a map which would show the route for this infamous um jacobite retreat now the bit that i didn't talk about before was that um prior to the actual battle there had been a failed surprise attack by the jacobites so they had um split into two and decided to um, 
Ambush, the Duke of Cumberland, which was the son of the king of the time and nicknamed the Butcher, who they were going to be battling um, at some point or another. But they split into two to decide to go and um, surprise attack them. One of the armies, one side of the army decided that it was just not workable. We're going home. Well, back to the camp and went back. And that was about 2 a.m. in the morning. Well, the other half didn't get the message until nearly daybreak when they were literally on top of Cumberland's um, uh, camp. was like like literally about to attack, as far <laughs> as I understand it. And then someone was like, no, call it off. So they all had to run. So the, this lady knew about this retreat, but she wanted to see the root of it. So she was... She and her friend were looking at this map and the, the, the helpful people in the gift shop at the National Trust were showing them the route that the, the, the retreats took. Because we did take very good um, uh, notes, I guess. Apparently <laughs> we know the route that they took to retreat. Someone took the time to write it down. Um, so they're looking at this and then the woman goes, ah, there's my house. So she sees on the route of the retreat that it runs right through her back garden. And she turns to her, her best friend or whatever, her old old lady friend with her and goes, see, see, I told you, I told you. Apparently, about five times over the last 10 years, she'd been woken up in the early hours of the morning to the sounds of very distinctly soldiers running through her garden. Now, I don't know what <laughs> soldiers running through a garden sounds like. But I imagine it probably gives off a little bit of a different aura, uh, different oral um, trans, you know, oral sound that oh, yeah. transmission or whatever than your average running man. But she's she says that it sounds like soldiers. So um, she she'd run up to the window to see what the heck who's running through her garden and she wouldn't see anything, but she'd still be able to hear them. And it was, she's like, I've always heard soldiers running through my garden and, and, and there. So this kind of gave her a little bit of validity in that the route of the retreat most likely went through her garden. Nice. So she is pretty convinced that she's heard the residual sounds of the Jacobites in um, retreat, which is quite interesting. <laughs> Because it works backwards, I'm more likely to, to believe an old lady trying to prove herself right, because I know yeah. how that is, than somebody that goes somewhere that is known to be haunted and saying, oh, I saw a spectre. Well, you were expecting to see it, so you're going to see something. It's the other way around. It's a little bit more believable. Exactly. Um, the actual battlefield itself, um, I've, I've forgotten what it's called already. Uh, <laughs> Culloden. Culloden Moor, the actual battlefield itself has your typical array of um, ghosty apparitions, um, mostly sounds, war cries, clashing swords, screaming in agony, those sorts of things, especially around the um, anniversaries um, of the anniversary of the um, the event itself. So <laughs> this is where I'm going to get a little bit cynical because interestingly enough, the author of the Outlander novels, her name is Diana um, Gabaldon. Have you heard of Outlander? Yes. Yeah. So the writer of these novels, right when she was releasing a book, which happened to be talking about uh, 
star-crossed lovers who were separated by this very specific battle came out to say that she's been to the battlefield and she was brought to tears by the feeling of dread and sadness of the um of the souls that were on the battlefield so it was pretty highly not highly but you know it was put in all the press and all the 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 tabloids and everything about that about how she feels it was so much she, she just knows it's haunted she just knew melanie when she went she <laughs> feel, knew it was haunted by all these souls by my book it's so haunted it's so um <laughs> you know it's such a just oh, it's a horrible thing by my book so that happened <laughs> Uh, some other stuff that's happened, locals and tourists say that they have visions of unearthly spectres um, over the graves of the Jacobites. Basically, the Jacobites were buried in mass graves in the right in the battlefield. Oh, mass graves are the worst. They're yeah, the worst. there's loads of burial mounds. There's loads of things like that along the battlefield. They're just chucked in. Um, one person claimed to have seen a tartan-clad man lay maimed and bloodied on the ground on the moor. So... Um, I wanted to look and see if the Jacobites would have actually have won um, Tartan, but then I sort of forgot and didn't. But there's this whole <laughs> thing about how um, Tartan is associated with the Scots. Yeah. Scottish? Oh, they don't like, sorry, with the Scots. It was Scottish. Scots, yeah. Stop anyway. offending people uh, then, hmm? Stop offending people. I know, it, I'm just, it's not, it's, you don't say Scotch, you say Scots. That's yeah, the yeah. Right, so. Um, but uh, there's a whole thing about how the certain tartans weren't actually around until hundreds of years later and things like that. So I meant to go and have a look if it was even likely that someone in this battle would have been wearing tartan, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, you can well, never know. But that's the one thing I'm like, right, okay, so if you're going to say that something so specific that they're wearing tartan, I'm going to go find out if it was even likely that a Jacobite was wearing tartan, but I'll get into that another time. But the thing that the actual site themselves claim is that birds do not go near it. Oh. That is something that can be verified. So apparently birds don't go near the battlefield and they certainly don't sing. So if they are passing by or hopping along, they won't sing while they're at the battlefield. Now, that is something the site itself, like the um, sort of touristy bit of the site claims to there's no bird song. So that's definitely something that I'd like to um, explore further. That is literally you just have to go there and stand there. And if you don't hear any birds, you go, huh, no birds. That is weird. But that if I hear a bird, then I'm going to be like, well, that's obviously BS. So, yeah, I'm. Um, so with 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 this sort of battlefield um ghosts um i mean it was it was horrendous and it was devastating um for highlanders it's really got a sting this was their defeat um so i feel like these legends just ensure that the story of the battle continues um and that people don't forget how shit and nasty the english can be so I don't blame them. Ghost stories are a perfect way to do this. But I can't take away from people's... Oh, sorry. I can't take away people's, like, personal experiences. So I'm not poo-pooing anyone that feels like they have actually seen something or heard something on this field because I wouldn't be so bold as to say that I'm right and they're wrong. 
but it just seems too perfect for me that a place where the Scottish would want people to remember a battle that they want people to um, uh, be pissed off about you know, the, the best way to do that is to build a legend around it, huh? So the legend around it is that it's incredibly haunted. Yeah. Um. So it's a really good way to transmit a cautionary tale, you know, about <laughs> how shit the English are. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you'd think we'd learn, but, you know. Um. That was Culloden Moor anyway. Um. Do you want me to do my other one? Yeah, yeah. do it. All right, well, the, the second one that I thought I'd do, I knew you'd have to do Civil War if you were um, doing the US. That's the only war you fought on your own soil, unless you did Pearl Harbor, which I um, don't really know if counts as a battlefield, really. Right, it's a, right. It's a location of war, but it's, you know, like warfare, but not necessarily a battlefield. Yeah, battle, yeah. battlefield is two forces clashing. Yeah, so... Um, I, I thought that I would sort of educate in a way your side of the pond in that we also had a civil war. So we have, it, you know, we have had a civil war. It was between the um, parliamentarians and the royalists because there was a time in our history where um, the kings and queens of the royals were not looked upon favourably by um, a certain sector of the population they were taking the piss and so um parliamentarians people that wanted to have a more democratic i'm gonna say that with a pinch of salt because it was (laughs) it was a religious revolution more than it was a political one and um one of the um greatest battles um of the civil war took place in 1642 in warwickshire um, it was called the Battle of Edge Hill. Um, it was, as you can imagine, pretty horrendous. Thousands died. Um, and it ended up being a, um, strategically um, moot because both sides lost um, about the same amount of people. Um, it added no strategic advantage to one side or the other. Um, and the war continued and it didn't seem to really have much of an effect other than the fact that um, they all had less people, but they all had less people. So, you know, it didn't leave anyone with any advantage. So it was kind of a bit, you know, shittily planned battle. Pointless. Yeah. The funny thing about this particular haunting is that um, it happens almost immediately. So, you know, you've usually got a little bit of time between when a um, tragedy occurs and you start seeing ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this literally happens less than two months later. So it's happened in about November. That was like, I'm trying to remember now, October. At the end of October, um, 1642. And just before Christmas, um, a shepherd uh, reported seeing a reenactment of the battle. But not just, you know on the ground you're like your typical reenactment up in the sky (laughs) the battlefield right so he could hear the clashes of armor cries of the dying screams voices even horses up in the sky so he runs and he tells his priest like i just saw this great battle in the sky over the battlefield at edge hill and what does the priest say 
do you think? Um, that he's drunk? No, I saw it too! Oh, shit. <laughs> the turns around and tells him, I saw it too. I, 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 I thought I was going mad. No, I don't think he said that bit, but he said, I saw it too. And over the next few days, apparently, more and more locals reported to seeing the phantom battle in the sky. Huh. So much so that they produced a pamphlet in 1643. So this is the next year called A Great Wonder in Heaven that detailed all the different people's accounts of this battle. Yeah. Right. So this little, you know, town (laughs) has made this pamphlet about this haunted battlefield. And um, the king finds out and he's very intrigued. So he sends his uh, he sends his bros down to see what the fuck is going on. Right. So it's in Warwickshire, so it's not that far. He sends them up from London. And lo and behold, his um, cronies see the phantoms of the battlefield too. Not only did they see this phantom battle going on in the sky, but they could recognise people who were in it. Because this has only happened two minutes previous. So their comrades up there. And they could actually see, apparently, their their friends and their, their... you know, their confidants up in the sky. No, it's Jeff. He's getting stabbed. Run, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. There's one particularly interesting one, which was the King's Standard Bearer. Um, as, for those of you who don't know what a standard bearer is, it's the person that is tasked with holding the flag that has the um, the standard of the king on it. So they don't actually fight. They're not uh, soldiers. Um, but they're usually highly, they were soldiers and usually are very highly decorated, but their um, role on the battlefield is not to take part in the battle, but to hold the standard. And if the standard falls into the hands of the other side, it's kind of like they win the battle. It's kind of like catch the flag. Wow. <laughs> so I don't think that people would just like surrender if the other side had the flag. I think people would keep fighting, but it's kind of like symbolic that yeah. if your other side has your standard, then it's like, oh shit, we're losing. So, um, you know, it could either serve as motivation to fight a little harder or it could make you feel despair that you're losing. It depends on your predisposition. I would imagine I they kept those guys at the back, right? So that they had to work their way through. <laughs> I mean, it would usually be quite close to the king. So the king would be pretty heavily protected. Um, or, you know, like the, the commander of the particular, rank, you know, like the most highest ranked person there. Because you'd have to have a standard bearer there to sort of decree, to, 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 so everybody knew whose side was who, I guess. I'm mm-hmm. not an expert on these things, but there's always somebody holding a standard. I think that it shows up in Game of Thrones at some point. So if you guys want that really did happen. People did really hold flags. But this guy, Sir Edmund Verney, was the standard bearer for this battle, um, had gallantly refused to let go of the standard when it was being, like, yanked from him by the other yeah. side. Um, so they chopped off his hand and his arm to get at the... Um, uh, the standard and then got it so apparently these um guys <laughs> who'd come down come up from london to have a look saw their friend sir edmund verney getting his hand lobbed off and the and the standard taken um uh psi is it psi 
Side note. Yeah. <laughs> the royalists do get the battle do get the standard back and apparently they get it back and his hand was still clasping onto the pole. What yes. a guy, you know, still, you know, and the um, parliamentarians hadn't, you know, tried to rip it off. It was time consuming, I guess. So <laughs> apparently when they got the standard back, his hand was still attached. So this guy was pretty well thought of. There's this sort of um He's almost martyred, if yeah. you know. The standard bearer of the king till his dying breath held the standard and had to have his arm cut off before he would be able to have it pried from his hands, right? So can you say propaganda with me here? Yeah, yeah. So these people that have come up from the king just happen to see the hero of the battle, if you will, Sir Edmund Verney, getting his hand lobbed up and the, the standard being yoinked. So I'm not saying the story's bullshit or anything, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Watching a whole battle in the sky sounds pretty um, realistic to me. I just mean that their their particular account of their, their friend Sir Eddie there. So, yeah. uh, but it certainly makes for interesting telling to the king when they get back, which they do. More on that later. So the villagers, and I imagine the priest, who in no way makes any money from this, wink, wink, uh-huh. decide to give all the corpses a proper Christian burial. So they get the proper rights, the Christian rights, as they're being, um, because obviously they'd just been kind of dumped in this field. It was only two months ago. Some of them were probably still sticking out of the ground. Yeah. Um, and apparently for the time being, the great ghost battle in the sky stopped. So apparently burying them in Christian graves by the priest and getting all of their last rites apparently settled their souls for a time. That's that's usually the way to do it. Yeah, well, it it seems to be pretty consistent in these kind of stories that they need some kind of resolution, unfinished business, if you will. Yeah. But, you know, contradictory to this, people still report to hear shit to this day. So at the time, they were quite happy with settling, you know, settling it and saying, listen, we gave them all Christian burials and everything went away. Well, that's very good Christian propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. End of story, right? Well, as time's gone on, people have latched on to the ghost story a little bit more. And the whole thing about God Almighty letting them all settle at the end of, you know, as long as they've got their rights, that, that's that's finished. We don't believe that anymore, do we? So people still report to hear shit like screams, cannon fire, hooves galloping and battle cries on the site, especially around the anniversary, like a week or so before a fair or a carnival or something <laughs> that doesn't need press or publicity or anything, yeah. you know. Suddenly people will start hearing shit and it gets into the local paper and at the bottom of it might say like, oh, we're having a carnival. Yeah. I'm not cynical or anything. (laughs) (laughs) But it's infamously haunted, this place, Edge Hill. Um, And interesting, and this is my last little fact on this, because this is this is the most fun fact for me because of all the both these stories I can easily dismiss. As the yeah. first one was um, Scottish making up legends to try to, um, you know, demonstrate how shit the English are. And then this one's clearly a religious one because the Civil War was a religious war. And then 
but this this is funny because this is the the historical impact that this ghost story has had on our country because the king sent this official um committee if you will to go and investigate this mm-hmm. their account is held in the public records office nice so it is the only officially recognized phantom battlefield in britain in fact any ghost whatsoever it is an officially recognized haunted location according to the public records office because the king sent an official um group of people to go and 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 get an account they wrote it all down it went into the public records eventually into the archives it so legally it's haunted yeah it's totally real that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if there's any other legally sort of you know like um, officially recognized haunted places um i think things that are um of historical interest the haunting will be included in that but in this yeah. particular case the haunting is the record so wow, that's awesome yeah i thought that was pretty cool i actually tried to find the official document within the public records um but it's not um not that easy to track down because it's it's not really called like the public records office anymore it's like the national archives and they haven't digitized everything yet so it's there yeah. but i'd have to like literally go to london and go through the national archives and find it well, if you ever do that if you ever do that you could put that in our notes on our our you know sites or whatever how awesome would that be because i wanted to quote it i wanted to quote it i wanted to read it and be able to tell you what these dudes actually said yeah. like and lo before me <laughs> <laughs> Twas the face of Sir Edmund, my friend. My you know? <laughs> I wanted to hear what they actually had to say. Anyway, so that's my, those are my battlefields. All right. Well, then, in our last few minutes, let me just get in a cryptid and a yokai. All right. So, <laughs> um, uh, the one cryptid that I did want to bring up is Old Green Eyes. Okay. <laughs> so old green eyes um, took he appeared. It's believed that he appeared before the battle, but he really became popular around the time of the Battle of Chickamauga. And I have some details on that. Real quick, hold on a moment. Uh, it's the second bloodiest battle of the Civil War. Second oh, only so to. Second. Yeah. So second only to the Battle of Gettysburg. You know, shit ton of people died. Where is my notes? Oh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry. Organized as ever. Yeah, right? So the Battle of Chickamauga took care, took place in Catoosa City in Georgia. Um, it was a two-day-long battle. 3,969 people died. Um, and right after, like even during the battle, um, it was said that the... The smell of blood, the screaming, the devastation. Um, so much blood was spilled that a creature of great malice was drawn to the devastation. Mm. Um, most people believe it's a ghoul. Um, it's not so much a ghost as a creature that stands about six to seven feet tall, um, human-like. Some people uh, say it's got long black hair um, and bright green glowing eyes they kind of they have that that green that almost turns orange that shift of like night vision like in a wolf 
or something. Like 1990s, um, you know, Fresh Prince hats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he has a huge deformed jaw and terrifying fangs. Some people say fangs and some people say tusks. Protruding. Mm. And he came to eat the dead. I wanted to, I didn't have enough time, but I wanted to see if there was any sort of, um, uh, you know, native lore on a creature like that that might have been around that area. Um, I'm still going to research that, and if I can come up with some facts, then I'm going to throw that on one of our pages because I thought it was really interesting. Where else is it in um, Virginia again? Georgia, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, Georgia. And, um, yeah, so he's been seen over and over and over again. There was this one uh, telling that um, there was this guy who was, like, a park uh, park ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd seen it a good couple times. I meant to write down his name. I think it was, like, Tids or Timmons or Tiddly. Um, <laughs> T.T., my park- friend. The park where this battle took place, it's kind of like Lover's Lane. It's a good makeout spot for a lot of people. Um, and there have been numerous people that felt like while they were making out, all of a sudden this hot breath on the back of their neck. That's and they turn right. around. And they turn around and they'll just see these big, bright green eyes. And then, of course, they fucking book. Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry about my loud clapping. Um, and then they fucking book. Um, and this one park ranger has seen him a good few times. Um and it was interesting that as the years progressed, uh, the ghoul progressed. So whereas before he was a mostly naked kind of ghoul, but some people see him now and they see him with a top hat or like a long black coat. And back in the 60s or 60s, I want to say 60s or 70s. Um, no. Yes. One of them has this really racist uh, viewing of it. They saw this this tall, the gold green eyes, and then had the about six feet tall and had a big white head, um, as if it was hair was wrapped up in something. Um, and the person who walked upon it, seeing it, seeing this giant, like not hairy but human-like thing, but so dark in the shadows, but this big white thing on their head. Um, they hear a baby crying and and they go to go approach them and, and, you know, say, what, what is going on? Can, can we help? And they described it as looking like a African-American with their head wrapped up in a towel and then said in a big, burly, deep voice, just leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was also like that voodoo, um, demon i'm trying to remember there's lots of um folklore about a particular um i think he's the sort of voodoo version of death or you know like the grim reaper type of thing yeah Sounds an awful like him i'm trying to remember what he's called oh, I know he's it. sort of like half zombie half you know beast humanoid mm-hmm. with the green theme is running through that one as well but he's got white face paint on but yeah. he's very definitely a black man with a top hat. I know hat. his name. I have it in my I know, it's head. so bugging me. Oh, it's like Daddy's Salmon, Salmony, Samily, Sam, something. We'll she, remember like 10 seconds after we finish this. <laughs> yeah, but, but old Green Eyes. He sounds an awful lot like that. 
that, that yeah, legend. Both Rina has evolved, and, and I think probably, um, I think initially it was just something that somebody was seeing when they were really, really terrified. They're like, all of this monstrosity is going on. Um, a monster in the mix really doesn't seem that out of place right now. Um, but So people on the battlefield themselves reported to seeing this thing before they went into battle? Yeah, or, or during, like, in the middle of battle. Ooh. Yeah. That was that was interesting. So some people had seen it or had been talking about it before the battle, but none of the soldiers who were there knew anything about it at all. They all of a sudden just see this this tall, huge creature with this massively deformed jaw just, like, slinking out from the woods to grab a corpse and pull it back in to eat it. Could it not possibly be an animal that is all fucked up and mangy looking because there's a war going on? Absolutely, especially because of the the green eyes. And some people say that the green eyes turned from green to orange, so it had that nighttime reflective, much like a wolf. Yeah. Um, things like that. But I did think that was neat with the whole like the tusks and the deformed jaw. I, I thought yeah. it was really terrifying. And some of the images I found were downright spooky. Yeah. And I love a good monster, so I I'm all about old green eyes. But over time, I think that it was interesting that he sort of evolved to just sort of be this like racist creature <laughs> yeah it's a bit odd i think yeah that's very telling yes and that's yeah but that's that's how humans are you know we latch onto a story and we sort of evolve it with with us um and then my, my last thing i want to mention is my yokai because with any topic there's a yokai for that and <laughs> <clears throat> my yokai is i went with the kosen yobi which is a demon fire it's made from the blood of warriors and animals that died in battle. The blood mm-hmm. soaks into the earth, and then the Kosenyobi rises from the, the blood-soaked earth into the air at night, creating fiery shapes or orbs. Um, they occasionally take the form of fallen warriors or animals, um, but mostly you'll just see just uh, balls of flame. And that's really predominant in a lot of Japanese uh like mythology, same thing with, with Chinese mythology too. They do the big flaming balls of hate, fear, children, all kinds of things. But these ones are specific to um, battlefields. It's a, they once again they wander around the fields looking for their missing body parts. Um, they're harmless but spooky. Oh, yeah. See, to me, oh, you know, the whole thing, everything that we've both researched, it, all of it is not happy right and it's never going to be happy when you're researching the ghosts of fallen soldiers um but these particular stories have a very clear um message all of them have a clear message that war and battles and death like this is just bullshit it's just shit it's shit it creates horrible monsters it it, it it creates balls of flame that could possibly represent like anger and hatred um, you know, the great sort of battles that are being reenacted with our friends dying over and over and over again. All of it has a very, although you can sort of twist it and mold it to your own narrative as much as you want, overwhelmingly, the you know, without any doubt, going into it and coming out of it, this topic was going to come out. The moral of the story is war is bad, okay? War sucks. War sucks. So, yeah. Any story that comes out of a battlefield, anything like that, I'm going to be a little, I suppose, I'm very skeptical and cynical of it, obviously. 
but I am not cynical of the message that is being. Yeah. So if in Japanese culture they believe in this fiery, you know, beast, if, sorry, this fiery um, yokai, if in Georgia they believe in this, you know, cannibalistic man-pig thing that comes and devours the bodies of the dead, and, and, and mine as well, it just... You know, it's sad. It's mm-hmm. sad that we don't listen to these things, and or at least that we've manipulated the actual stories of the event to to fit this kind of weird, spooky side story, and not actually mm-hmm. tell the true stories of what actually. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little preachy, but I don't really like war. <laughs> yeah, war's not so much what? fun. No, it's a little bit depressing. Yeah. Because after all of this, like we've we've had a laugh and we've added this and we've added that, but these people really did actually exist at one point and they were killed horrendously. So just thought I'd I'd end our little topic on just like sorry guys, you know, shit. Up note. <laughs> yeah, that's a real up note there. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I wanted to go into the stories of what generals took what where and and all those details but there's so much and war is such a huge huge topic um that I I unfortunately went the the, the lame route of just like there was a battle and people died there yeah. but there was, there was you know they had names they they had families and uh The amount of of places that General E. Lee apparently haunts is hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine, I think I've I've seen a few, like, documentaries where he goes, allegedly, the spirit of, you know, you're going, yeah, well, isn't he meant to be haunting that that other place? Like, he gets around. No, he seriously haunts, like, 60 different places. If you could, would you multi-haunt? Like, if you were a ghost and you could go on holiday and haunt loads of different places, wouldn't you? Probably. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be in the same spot all the time. You're, like, stuck here. You might as well. It's like, I'm going to hunt Disneyland. was never there, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to latch on to this guy because this accent does not sound familiar, and I want to know where it goes. Where does he come from? <laughs> oh, Spain! I've never been here before. <laughs> this is neat. That was my really bad southern accent, but I tried not to do it over the top, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, that was a lot of shit there for the zombie fishbowl indeed it was i think we uh we did some stuff (laughs) stuff definitely happened definitely (laughs) and if after all that stuff you enjoyed it and want to listen to us again for some reason please 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 subscribe and if you could rate and review us that would be awesome and tell your friends yes please you can also follow us on twitter and Instagram, and join our Facebook page, all under Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. It's dead easy. And if you want to contact us to tell us where we're wrong about something, which I'm sure there's plenty of yeah, that, yeah, so. and, want to, <laughs> and want to request a topic to be added to the random topic picker, you can email us at zombie, hold on, my brain, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> no, no hate mail, though. Speak for yourself. <laughs> 
Oh, God. All right. Thank you so much for listening to our little podcast. If we, sorry, we really want to do well. So any feedback would be received with much, much love and humility. Also, if you want my list of sources or Melanie's list of sources at any point, give us a shout and we'll give you the details. I'll keep track of any scientific journals and stuff whenever I mention them. Which I didn't this episode. It was a bit tricky to shoehorn in, but I'll try harder next time. Well, that just leaves us to say goodbye and thank you. And I will leave you with a quote by one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. In critical moments, men see exactly what they wish to see. Danielle, is that a Spock quote? Yes. (laughs) For fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Wait, we need to pick a topic. Oh, shit. I forgot. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right. Okay, I'll pick a topic right now. I'm going to the random topic picker. Random topic picker, random topic picker, pick a random topic, I'm a topic, random picker. (laughs) No, that was solid. (laughs) Oh, do you want to know (laughs) our next topic? Yes. Mummies. (gasps) Ooh. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. All right. And on that note. Bye.